Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. UFOs. Who are they? What are they? And where are they coming from? In this episode of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs, I talk with my guests, Leslie and Stephen Shaw, the authors of Who They Are and What They're Up To, to answer these questions and so much more. This is a very interesting episode and you won't want to miss it. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media 501c3 and The Well-Written Nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. Welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Leslie and Stephen Shaw. Hello. Hi. Hey, welcome. So glad to have you guys on. I was um, excited to meet the both of you at uh, the 29 Palms Book Fest. And uh, I had just, I I think I saw you guys right when I walked in and I walked right up to your booth and you asked me a very interesting question. I think Stephen asked me a very interesting question. Do you remember what that question was, Stephen? Not offhand, no. (laughs) Are you um, you up to abductees or uh, experiencer? Exactly. You asked me, (laughs) are you an abductee? And I go, I think I am because I have these weird visions and stories that we'll talk about. But so let's get into it. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourselves and your book, who they are and what they're up to. So who are they? And who are you guys? <laughs> Everyone says that, I know. Uh, the the uh, theories that we came up with had to do with um, how many times they were being seen in our skies. The theory was going around that these are beings from other planets or other solar systems visiting us. But then we discovered they were being seen something like 200,000 times a year. And that just doesn't add up. You know, are they, they're coming here 200,000 times a year. What do they love McDonald's? You know, why are they here that often? And um, I finally came to the conclusion and our, uh, we started researching it and theorizing and and confirming our theories as far as we can tell that they are here. They live here. They're underground. They, they launch their spaceships from, you know, underground, uh, bases here in in the world on planet Earth. I've I've always felt that pretty much from the age of three that there was something going on that I I didn't know about but I wanted to know about it. And the, this this whole malarkey, quite frankly, about that they're just interested. They're they're just basically different than us and interested in just taking samples. Never added up. You know, from a from a kid, I kind of got that that there was something that I just wasn't getting because I was having experiences from the age of three. I'm still having experiences uh, myself today as, as even like you know, three, four nights ago. Yes. To, to this day, he's still, yeah, so still being contacted at least on the uh, yeah. April plane. So I, I, I know there's, there's other things going on. Yeah. And then, so let's, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> oh, go, go ahead, Leslie. Uh, well, another thing didn't add up for us was um, the abduction phenomenon. The more we researched the abduction phenomenon, it just wasn't adding up. The theory was that they're just, they're just curious about us. They just want to take some samples, a few scientific samples, just out of scientific curiosity. But that doesn't appear to be what is happening. What's happening is that they're abducting the same person over and over and over again through their lives. And, and then when they have children, they start abducting the children and then they start abducting the grandchildren. It's a family affair, you know, and it, um, it is primarily a Caucasian phenomenon. About nine out of 10 people abducted are Caucasian. So it wasn't whatever it was, it wasn't just scientific curiosity about the human race to us it seemed more like it was a 
uh, that they were harvesting a product that they needed. Necessity. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what's the product, do you know? They take genetic material um, in the form of eggs from women, sperm from men, and um, a f- few other samples, though, blood. Like blood and uh, you know, like that. Certain organs, they may need it at certain times. It also helps to explain a lot of the cattle mutilation phenomena. Yes, it seems like they're mostly taking um, reproductive material. And uh, and that started tying in with what we were learning about their bizarre breeding program. <laughs> They're actually making human hybrids. hybrids. And uh, this this came from Dr. Professor uh, Pro- Professor uh, David Jacobs, rather. He's our source for a lot of our alien abduction phenomenon um, material. He was um, he did about ten thousand hypnotic regressions on abduction victims and um he found that to be the case that they were uh almost all caucasian 90 94.6 percent to be exact uh caucasian and that uh, 1100 out of his 10,000 were women who complained about having their fetuses stolen from them they would be abducted impregnated and then four months later, abducted again, and the fetus would be removed. And uh, then frequently, these women report being introduced to their hy- their hybrid offspring later on. And sure enough, they're they look kind of like them, but they are also part. You know, they have two larger eyes, larger, darker eyes. Yes, yes. and oh. they they seem to be telepathic too. Yes, they they and uh, that's something that we think happens with the abduction phenomenon. They um, most people report that they are not being communicated with verbally, but they're they're being communicated with mentally. Right, right. It's so fascinating. Like they say, Elon Musk is a hybrid for sure. <laughs> yes, he. Uh, I mean, he's I, a little I, odd. I, I buy that. I'll buy that. Yeah, and, and plus with all his. Um, you know, inventions and stuff he brings out in the world. I was listening to a few podcasts the other day, which uh, were interesting. And was one was with this woman. I have her name right here. Um, let's see. Hold on. Let me get it real quick. Uh, Diana Pasulka. And so she is a religious studies professor And um, she said she was studying religious studies and and she was um, studying the divine or the angelic. And she noticed that there was a direct correlation to UFO visitations, particularly with like St. Francis, which I thought was very interesting. So a lot of these divine interventions uh, that people talk about in Christianity with the saints are really either alien abductions or alien visitations. What do you guys? There think could about be a that? connection to that. Um, what? what you remember could... the three children? Remember the, the three children, like in nineteen, 19- right? Mm-hmm. Fatima, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Fatima children, right? And yeah, they 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 experienced what was it? The um, was it was it the Mother Mary or it was it was an angel that said that she would reveal uh, certain things, you know, as far as you know the future. And I think right. there is a connection. Um, there yep. was a prophet in, uh, well, two of them actually in the Bible. I, uh, I I forget the first one, which one it was, but the the second one was Ezekiel, and he was taken up to Enoch. to Enoch in the first. spaceship and uh, uh, reported seeing the Ark of the Earth underneath him and looking down. So I, I think a lot of the uh, it ties into the Bible in many ways. I it was Enoch was the first who was the father of Methuselah, and then he was the father of Lamech and then Lamech of, of Noah. Yeah, but the, there was another one. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm blanking. But anyway, it's another yet another uh, uh, misinterpretation. Yeah, person of the of the Bible said that they they were flew up into the sky and saw the ark of the earth under them. Right, right. I found that so interesting. So how did you two meet again? Because I know with Stephen, he talks about um, his abductions that started at the age of three, correct? 
Yes. Go ahead. So can well, you tell us a little the, bit about that? Yeah, tell them. Well, my first experience is that I remember when I was three, I'd be awakened, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning by this being jumping on my stomach and my chest and being very, very, very playful. You know, I was three years old, so but I didn't know invisible. what to make, you know, invisible, but I didn't know what to make of it. So that kind of got went on for a while. And then my sister and my brother were were born and my brother had his visitations where for quite a number of years, he'd actually sleep in the closet because he was afraid of the quote unquote little men that would come in the middle of the night and visit him. And, um, and, and then let's fast forward to like when I was about nine, I was sleeping in a bunk bed. I was on top of the bunk bed and my brother was on the bottom at that point. He hadn't started sleeping in the closet and I was awakened by this odd sound that I hadn't heard before. So I got out of the bunk bed and I, started walking down the hallway and I knew something wasn't right. And my heart was pounding and I was really nervous. So I was completely awake. I wasn't in any type of astral state or anything like that. And I was about to turn the corner into the living room and everything just went blank. And the next thing I knew about three hours later, I was back in my bunk bed, uh, fast asleep, N no explanation whatsoever, you know, and my family had this, called a uh, quote-unquote family spirit guy called Oglegly. That's how you pronounce it. If you read the book, you may not know how to pronounce it. It was called Oglegly. And this, this spirit guide had been following the family for at least three generations and, you know, would show up and, you know, appear to certain people at certain times in the family. And uh, when I was 18, there was a full week where a lot of strange things were happening at the house that my dad, my sister, and I were living at in Woodland Hills, California. Uh, for instance, one night my dad went to sleep and then his closet doors opened and opened and closed on him while he was while he was sleeping. And he, he woke up and he saw them open and close. And another night I was sleeping on the bottom of the bunk bed and I heard this weird whizzing sound in, in the in the ear like a and I looked down the hallway. The hallway light was still on the kitchen, so I I could see down the hallway. And I thought, well, I just must have been hearing things. So I rolled over to my left hand side and went tried to go back to sleep. And then I then the bed started being pushed. Two distinct pushes from the wow. base of the bed. And I thought, well, maybe it's an earthquake, or maybe I just moved or something. And so I tried to go back to sleep again. And then it pushed harder two times again. And then the third time it pushed even harder. And then the fourth time I got three distinct taps on my right shoulder tap 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 just like somebody's using their index finger to tap on your right shoulder and at this point i was both scared and angry at the same time i said so i rolled over i said what you know if you're going to show yourself show yourself and there was nothing there it was just invisible what it was and then i blank out then i don't know what i did after that i don't know whether i went back to sleep or whether i got up now the following night um, my dad heard this silver bell being rung in the chimney or next to the chimney in the living room. And I, he came, he came and got me from my room and said, Stephen, um, am I hearing things? I'm hearing a silver bell. So I, I got up about 930 at night and the distinct silver bell being rung inside the wall of the, um, the chimney. So then we got my sister. My sister was kind of like turning her back on all this kind of stuff. She just thought, oh. She didn't want to like be involved with any kind of spiritual type stuff or alien stuff or anything. So we all heard this thing at the same time and it, we banged on the wall for about 10 minutes and then it went away. Now, the final night, I decided I did not want to sleep in my room anymore. So I went into the living room and I slept on the couch in my clothes from the day before. I was a cabinet maker, had all my coins, my nails, my screws, everything was in my pocket. So I, I woke up about 5.30 in the morning. It was about uh, mid-January of 1979, so I was still 18, and I looked at my piano, got my musician, I thought, well, what am I going to play today, and I listened to the fountain in the back room, and then from behind me, about 30 feet behind me, was the, the front door, I was laying face up, so my face was facing away from the front door, uh, this being, a blue-white being, about six to seven feet tall, came floating walking it was like it was walking but it was floating it came at a very fast pace within two seconds the whole room was filled with blue white light it stopped by my right side the whole right side of my body like i was bisected 
all the way from the oh, center wow. of my head all the way down to my feet was bisected where I could not move. And I felt it bend down to my ear and say, and I thought that I, this was the family spirit guide. I thought, this is old Glegly. I'm going to see the family spirit guide for some reason. But I was also, I couldn't move. And so I said, oh, this is not good. I can't move. So I was both 50-50 terrified and excited. And I tried to look. I knew what it looked like, but I couldn't tell you because I couldn't tell 100% because I couldn't actually see it. But I could see it kind of orically. I knew that it was about six to seven feet tall. I knew it was tall, blue, white, slender. And it stayed there for I don't know for how long. And then it left. And to this day, I don't remember whether I got up and told my dad right away or what. The only thing I can tell you is six hours later, I was going to go get lunch for my dad and I about 11, 1130 in the morning. I reached into my right hand side pocket, pulled out the coins and the nails in my pocket, put them on the bench and all the coins were magnetized. I could wow. pick up the coins with the coins. It didn't matter. And my dad said, and I said, that's not possible. American coins are not mag mag uh, mag magnetizable. This was 1979. They designed them especially yeah. so they can't so be this magnetized. Is, I've, I've tried to this day mm -hmm. to try and get scientists and different people to tell me. I've done my own research and says, that's just not possible. So whatever it was, the effect was still lasting on me at least six hours later. And I had a witness. I okay. think he had, I think he was exposed to a very high electrical charge of some kind. Flat, to be able to not, I don't know. Yeah, to magnetize the, both the coins. And that would also paralyze the human body. After all, we are uh, created by, from electrical impulses. I, that I, was, we move, I was right? also very much into studying Tai Chi at the time. I was very pure. I was a musician. I was, uh, I was I was a very pure soul. At he was I, doing yeah energetic work to yeah, raise his I wasn't. Presence. I didn't have any relationships with women or anything like that, or, or men. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I was but you forgotten one, dear. Uh, that same week, his father woke up one night, looked oh, yeah. down the hall, and uh, he could see into his Stephen's room from his bedroom if they just looked down the hall, and they were both doors were open. He looked down the hall, and uh, the room. Stephen's room was filled with blue white light. Wow. And he 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 was going to get up and do something about it and then a, a lulling voice said in his head, "Jeffrey, it's fine. Everything's fine. Just go back to sleep." And he did. And uh, Stephen has no memory. I have this. no memory of that of that at all. So this is one of the incidents where he was visited but didn't remember it, which I think they commonly affect people's memories after they're um after they're abducted. And I think a lot of that is is, is apparent in, you know, uh, Philip, his brother, also. Uh, one time Philip saw a gray alien in his room before he blacked out. Completely different house. And we believe that that's who's who's the cause of this is is the grays. Um, but how they're projecting themselves into a room in a blue white entity state, we're not fully understanding, but. Uh, because he saw a gray, we think of it's a gray, it's an it's an alien situation rather than like a haunting or or something of the case. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so we'll get to what the gray aliens are and the different kinds of aliens that people study are. But Stephen, why do you think they're abducting you? I mean, what happened to you after? Did you have more psychic abilities? Um, did you become more, much more intuitive? Um, because I was watching another documentary on one guy in Australia who has like thousands of documented pictures of um, spaceships. And he says that, and, and so he's, he's seen hypnotherapists and, and um, psychiatrists and psychologists, and, and he's working with one guy. And um, they say that they're speaking through him. So they're channeling through him. And there's multiple ones that work through him, like multiple alien beings that will work through him. So I think that, you know, one thing that I that I that I have come to believe and come to see is that they're very similar to us. They're not some, you know, six fingered or seven fingered uh, alien that. You know, it has certainly this has somehow just learned how to speak English. And, like you know, there's, there's, all, the there's also there's also the issue that it's been three generations of my family. 
I have I have been pretty intuitive for my whole life. He's and, very psychic. And uh, in fact, <laughs> in fact, I did something this morning that was just um, it was just ridiculous um, that there's there's no reason why I should have said that word whatsoever. Um, yeah, I was uh, I, I, I am pretty torpid when I wake up in the morning. I have fibromyalgia and um, uh, he, he, he asked me how I was in the morning. I said, oh, I feel so stiff. I wish I could just and I paused looking for the word in my head. And I thought, is is D torpify a word? I thought to myself. And then he finished my sentence I, for me. I said, said it. I said it before she even he's brought it. Well, actually, I actually what I did. I actually I actually saw the word in my head. Yeah, he pulled it right out of my head. And yeah. I, I do that all the time. If yeah. I had a nickel, I'd be a rich it, woman. It, it can be words that don't even <laughs> exist or expressions that don't even yeah. exist. I will just see them. So I I think you know from what I found anyway, like perhaps these entities have had directed me to study tai chi and to become an acupuncturist because that's kind of and being a musician because that's kind of where my strengths lie my strengths lie in being uh sensitive and listening and being intuitive and i think if anything in fact i i could i could tell on, on this on this program things that i know to be absolutely true some of the teachings that i've that i've learned and some of the things i've experienced that are absolutely true, but it really depends on the purity, I think, the purity of the soul. And I also believe that interaction with some of these uh, beings also depends upon some of the purity of your soul, too. Or also possibly the psychic uh, uh, component. A lot of my research is uh, showing that there is a psychic component to the UFO phenomenon. A lot of the families affected are, are intuitive families more more psychic than than others we think it is a factor right and they're going to specific people um and, and that's what these two documentaries that i um watched that's what they talked about they said they're going to specific people and these people are kind of evolving in a certain way yes um and in in one of the documentaries the woman diana pavel i forgot her name pavelka or whatever she said that she went to um, New Mexico, where, uh, what is that? Um, is it Area 51, I think? Or no, uh, one of there's the Roswell, Roswell. area. The Roswell, um, Roswell, that's right. And so there is went, a, there's a Roswell Air Force Base right there, too. Right. So she went to Roswell with this uh, gentleman. And, and so he, is like a NASA type person and he has many different patents uh, and many different um, uh, things that he's made in the world, but he channels these aliens, you know, for, for example, um, I went to the Integratron. I'm sure you guys are from the desert. You're very yes, we know well. It well. <laughs> you know, I taught a Tai Chi class in the Integratron. <laughs> that place is a trip, isn't it? I've been in the sound bath in it too, and I had a like an out of body experience. I did too. I did, did too. too. In 2016, <laughs> on election day, um, I went there. So it was Hillary Clinton and Trump, right? Yes. So I went there that day before anybody knew who was going to win, and I you know, did the sound bathing and I had this massive outer body experience. And I did see some very interesting beings. Like I felt my, my ethereal body just leave. Mm -hmm. My real body was on the floor and I, I could touch the ceiling. It was pretty wild. <laughs> and, um, and yes. I, and I just saw these things happening. And, um, and when I left that place, I felt like I was in a different timeline for sure. And all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, Trump won. And I was just like, what? Like, I guess I'm in a different It was timeline. a surprise, wasn't it? We were all you know, like we were all everybody was all surprised. So in this timeline, that's what happened. And um I had sat at a cafe and I started writing this story about how all these people were identifying with their illnesses, and it was kind of like an epidemic you know, and something mm -hmm. massive was happening and I was writing it and I got like 8,000 words into this story. And then in 2020, COVID happens, which was crazy. So I was just like, wow, this is exactly like my story that I was writing. So I <laughs> no was kidding, really. <laughs> tweeting something from somewhere. But 
I feel that I've had, I've been abducted um, because I, I have these regressed memories that um, have been popping out and they've been coming through ever since I met this one individual in 2019. So they were very, very intense. I never told him because they were weird. I was like, oh, maybe this is a screenplay that's coming in my head because it was me in a hospital gown and I was much younger. I was probably 20 to 23 years old. And I'm sitting across from this guy who's younger than me. He has messy hair and he's also wearing a hospital gown. And we're in like a waiting room of sorts. And I was like, I don't know what this is, you know. And um, and I never told him, you know, that this had popped into my head. I just thought this was a funny scene that I was going to write. Well, a few weeks ago, um, because I'm still in communication with him, I texted him. I was like, by any chance, did you ever have or, or think you've been abducted? And he said, yes. And so I, you know, go, well, I need to call you. And so he tells me his story about how he was 17 years old. He was working at an amusement park and he was supposed to go away for the weekend with his family to his lake house, but his family ended up leaving. And so he was home alone and he had gotten abducted. So one of the things that he did say he was doing was a keto, like he was doing a keto. So I guess it's another form of martial arts, which is yes. um, similar. Yes, any form will of martial arts will help raise it's, your consciousness. It's more of a softer yeah. form. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right. So he says that he, you know, it was, it was, he was in bed, it was at night and he felt someone come into his room and take him. And I think he had said it would look like a gray. Um, and it was just this figure. And that in the morning, um, he went into the bathroom to take a shower and he noticed his back was all black and blue. So oh. what I think what I think happens is that it's a consciousness um kind of hijack and they they take your consciousness, but then uh it's they'll take your ethereal body, but then the marks will still be on your regular body. No, uh, well, I, I personally haven't had that experience, but I, uh, in, in reference to your, you know, seeing Trump winning, I have kind of something that, you know, pre precog type stuff. And this is also too, because we were doing a lot of um, um, chanting and spiritual enhancement at the time, back in 1998, I had this, there's this vivid dream like it was right there i was seeing um a bush win the election again which i knew wouldn't be possible it looked like uh, daddy bush but a younger version of him but this was in 1998 <laughs> and i told leslie about this i said no that's true I, I told leslie about this and bush wasn't at that time wasn't even running and then it yeah. came down to the whole thing in florida with and you know, he didn't know about the Gore. sun at the time right. I didn't know that's that. really I didn't interesting clue but then, of course, it came down to Florida being the deciding thing between Gore and Bush, right? Like 553 votes or something. My parents said, oh, they're all worried. Says, don't worry, mom, dad. I I already saw who's going to win. And, <laughs> and cognitively, sure, this is like this is honest to God. This is two years before it even happened. So I think that, you know, doing things like Aikido, Tai Chi, whatnot, and doing spiritual awakening exercises actually there's so much that is latent in the human brain and right. you, know, you know there's so much that's latent that has that's basically been atrophied or has not even been turned on in most right. people right and i agree i agree so the so but, it's um, you like were saying, they're turning uh, it on i wanted to ask mention though that uh what one thing i'd heard uh from whitley streber you know the communion the author of the communion book he was saying that he used to be taken physically um, but lately, maybe they don't need his his genetic material anymore, but they're still communicating with him on a on a, a psychic level frequently. So they don't give up on you, even if they're done with needing your physical form, genetic material. Yeah, your genetic material any longer. Um, but then they start taking the younger people of the same generation. I mean, of the same uh, family, a uh, different generation. That's really interesting. Like in my family, I know that my uncle was an aeronautical engineer. So I think it really kind of started with him mm -hmm. um, because he is uh, he's 
incredibly creative. Like he he's like a poet and it's all earth based, which is interesting. Um, like he's a poet, he's a writer. Uh, he also was making men's suits for a while and then doing like leather satchels. And he, he really loved gardening and earth stuff. Like he almost bought a community park and was making it into like a nonprofit thing. I, I mean, just very, very interesting things, you know, uh, but of course, um, he also like is bipolar as well. But, um, you know, is very, very interesting. So I feel it kind of comes from there, kind of like George Van Tassel that was uh, at the Integratron that created the Integratron. It's yeah. one of the things he was visited and he yeah. got the components to build the Integratron that was really supposed to be a, um, a life extending machine or yes. like a... It yeah. was supposed to make of, you immortal yeah, if, you, right. if you were exposed to it enough. Right, right, yeah. it, which is very, <laughs> very interesting. But you say there's like 10,000 uh, UFO or, or reports of UFO sightings per year. Yes. And um, only 5% of the sightings are reported. Uh, so so we like, think they're seeing something like 200,000 times a year. Yeah, in wow. fact, one of the guys that was debriefed uh, at the you know the congressional hearings, I it wasn't was it Fravor? I believe it was Fravor. Fravor said that there the um, the the U.S. and the U.S. Navy and all the navies are constantly being surveilled by these things like the Tic Tacs to go fast and the gimbals. They're constantly. He said it's really closer to two hundred thousand. Every time year. we go on maneuvers, these UFOs are dogging our military every single time. Yeah, and it's not being reported. Except that, you know, Elizondo, Luis Elizondo, released the three videos to the New York Times in 2017. And uh, he was the in charge of the ATIP, which was the UFO investigation program for the government at the time. And um, he released those three videos. Otherwise, we would never know. We would have no idea that this was happening. And they were following our, our military everywhere they go. And I believe this is because uh, they've made it quite clear they are not happy with us using nuclear power, or I mean nuclear weapons. Um, they, Mount we, yeah, they made it clear um, by in the in the early in the in the fifties and the sixties they they were sixty eight Malmstrom and, yeah, the, uh, yeah and the Malmstrom incident happened. Uh, the UFOs have been hovering around or visiting or or bothering sort of are all of our nuclear facilities all over the country since the 40s since uh, the development of the weaponry and uh, they're they're obviously quite concerned about it and this this proved itself um, with the Malmstrom incident which was the in Montana the Malmstrom Air Force Base or nuclear base they had uh, 10 missile silos there a UFO showed up outside the gates and then one at a after another, after another of all the nuclear silos went offline. They're actually able to take our nukes offline whenever they want to. Wow. And of course, that was a demonstration of exactly that. And uh, all these systems are on different uh, computers. It's completely separated from each other, but they had no problem hacking them one at a time, one after the other. It's, it's not a hive mind thing where you take out <laughs> take out the central brain and it takes out the others. No, they're all they're all independent. Yeah. And so they're they're very interested in our nukes. And from what we understand, they they met with President Eisenhower. This is this is a ufology, you know, theory and uh, story within our community that uh, President Eisenhower actually met with the uh, new, the Nordic aliens, and they made it quite clear that they wanted us to um, stop using nukes altogether, and. Um, they didn't get what they wanted, obviously, but they did make supposedly this pact where we would keep their secret as far as their existence and allow them to continue taking individuals for their breeding programs. And uh, what we would get in return is some dribs and drabs of their technology. It's really fascinating. And that's why they can't ever really disclose it. They, they, they can't ever disclose it because of this evil pact that they entered into 
as the great Maya Angelou would say, and she did say, is watch <laughs> watch what they do, not what they say. Yeah, and it's their so actions. true. Their actions basically speak louder than anything. What they're doing belays the fact that they actually need us. Mm -hmm. We are actually important to them. And it's not just because we're just it's a science project. Yes, we think they actually need our genetic material for their their pro their projects so that's why they're taking the same families they find a, a dna strain that they like and they keep after that dna strain they keep coming back for it even into multiple generations yeah well, i don't have any children as far as i know but who knows <laughs> <laughs> but i can see how they could manipulate them I, I mean manipulate the genes and uh you know, to get different aspects. I mean, yeah. you can even see like basically in the early 2000s, there was a huge surge of autism. So you have to see, okay, well, why was there a huge surge of autism? What right. was what's causing on? it? Is it what's causing it? Is it the medications? Is it the vaccines? I mean, or is it because people have been manipulated? Their genetic makeup was manipulated. And so now, you know, or is it to form a different type of race, like another, you know, because one of the other things, one of the other theories is that we're here on kind of like a prison planet. We're all worker bees, you know, right. they're loosing off of um, emotions. And so that we were created right. as a worker race in the beginning, supposedly a worker slave race. Yeah, that, right. the, we we do. Uh, brush on those theories let me do a shameless book plug and in, uh, in our book <laughs> who they are and what they're up to by leslie and stephen shaw we do cover that um in our book too right we try and look so, at the phenomenon as a whole like a big umbrella over the whole thing rather than uh focusing on our experiences which are fascinating and we we did that was part of our reason for writing the book was these experiences but that's not really the focus of our book it's more to explain who they are and what they're up to and our theories concerning them. I do like your theory of that they are living with us, like underneath the planet, in the mountains, you know. Yes. Hollowed out uh, mountains. Mm -hmm. Which I think is very interesting because even just around us here in the desert, you can look at the mountains and you're like, okay, really? Like there has to be something inside of them. You know, and then even in Mount Shasta, I've never been to Mount Shasta. Have you been to Mount Shasta? We just went again. We just went this summer. Oh, how fun. We did We did yeah. uh, Bigfoot Days in Willow Creek. And uh, we oh, did a neat. reading at the uh, Wairika bookstore, Zephyr and uh, bookstore and how coffee fun. shop. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah I, think it's in, I think it's in chapter six of our book where we talk about, and maybe as far as uh, the, just how frequently meteorites and asteroids hit the planet. Just from right. the ones that we know about, it's a lot more frequent than people than people realize. And if you were a race, let's say Lemurian or Atlantean or whatever it may be, and you've been around for a while and you knew that something was coming. See, that's the other thing, too. Every single myth or legend or whatever tale, the 1200 that we've been able to find so far, a disembodied voice says either go to the highest place, get in the boat, build an ark or build a city underneath. These Under, are the flood myths the he's flood talking myth about. He's the, talking, the great yeah. flood myths. Yeah. Yes. Every, every, every single one, there was forewarning. So obviously somebody was advanced enough or a race was advanced enough to give a one to two year uh, you know, warning that this one, there was going to be a winter like you've never, ever seen and you better do something. So there was obviously, so you got to think that there's technology involved because it's not just, just out of, just out of nowhere. It's become because of uh, of a need to help to preserve the human race to a certain degree. Another reason we thought they weren't really coming from other places or other star systems so much is because we see evidence of their activities for thousands of years right. on this planet. And so e either they're, we are just the most interesting thing in the solar system, in the world, uh, the universe, or and they just have to keep looking in on us, or they're more closely here than we think we think that they actually are um cousins to us separated yeah. from us thousands and thousands of years ago and um 
I mean, look at the, if you look carefully at a gray alien, what we visualize them anyway, and the rare photos, what I see is a human being. I see a human being who's been living underground for 13,000 years. Very uh, tall, very pale. They, they look just like us. They move mm -hmm. just like us. Their, their musculature is the same. Their pelvis is tilted the same way. The proportions between the elbow and the knee and the, and are exactly the same as in the human being. And they would have less hair and they would have bigger eyes. They would have. They would be paler, yes, like you said. Exactly. Right? You know? um, so what I'm seeing is that they're more of a split race from us. Yeah. Split thousands of years ago. And we think the reason for the split might have been um, the recent discovery and what we think is the cause of the Great Flood is the Hiawatha asteroid crater has been discovered. Um, we theorized that it existed. Um, 22, 22 years yeah, ago. Yeah, like uh, I, I'd uh, heard about nano diamonds being discovered in the soil of that 13,000 year um, soil. And that nano diamonds only form during celestial impacts because the dust around the asteroid or the meteor superheats and becomes these tiny little round diamonds. And those were discovered in 13,000 year old soil, but, you know, and there was an extinction event too, exactly right then. The mammoth, the mastodon, the the American horse, the saber-toothed tiger, the, the dire wolf, the American camel, they the all Clovis died. The people, they yeah. all died off. Yeah. And the Clovis people and of these, North America. And these nano diamonds were found on four different continents in the Northern Hemisphere in at least 10 different countries, all in exactly 13,000-year-old soil. Soil. So, so, we, so we, knew yeah. that, we knew that a huge cataclysmic event happened. We just hadn't found the crater yet. And we knew it was a celestial impact event, especially yes. because of the nano diamonds. And uh, then finally the crater was discovered in 2016. The ice sheet had receded enough um, where it was discovered on the northern coast of Greenland. Um, and uh, that, that discovery was the proof that we were looking for and kind of cemented our theories in place and was the impetus really for writing the book at that point. Yeah, this this crater is about the size of Washington, D.C., I yeah, believe. Yeah, Washington, D.C. Wow. So I, I, I like to joke to say, you know, we had the dead body. We just had to find the murder weapon. So <laughs> so now we have both. So they they really they really uh, dovetail together and segue with, you know, if, 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 if a race that has technology is tired of getting uh, basically knocked back into the Stone Age and you have the technology to keep your technology and, and not be killed, why not, you know, go to something safer? We're we're the Chinese have been doing that for a thousand years. Their whole cities where thousands of people live underground. Right. Do they find it as temperature it's climate controlled and they, they prefer living underground in cities? So we think they thirteen thousand years ago they saw this thing coming. They saw the asteroid coming, and we believe they sank what they called arcs deep underground in order to help some humanity to survive. And these people went underground and they took their technology with them. But we poor schmucks on the surface, we got clobbered and most of us were killed. Only about 10,000 were supposed to have survived. Yeah, you can see that. Our entire population has regenerated. And in fact, the geneticists can see there's a genetic bottleneck about that time period. There where... is a genetic bottleneck where yes. at one point we're, we are no, we're, the human race is nowhere near as diverse as it should be. As it once was. And so what happened was, is that at some point our, our numbers were decimated and we regenerated from that. And we believe it was the, the Hiawatha asteroid impact. People have no idea the kind of uh, destruction that would cause. It, would, it, it, hit the, it hit the ice. So it sent, according to the, my research, it, it sent 1,500 gigatons of ice. And a wow. gigaton, a single gigaton is 100 billion tons. So 1,500, 100 billion tons of ice were instantly vaporized and covered the, half, the top half of the earth in cloud in probably seconds. And uh, then a lot of the sleet pushing outward from the impact zone would have crashed into the oceans, creating worldwide tsunamis of maybe a thousand foot high. And we also believe that at the same time, it created an, a lithospheric shift. 
according to um, do, have you heard of those at uh, the Hapgood's research about how the actual the the crust on the outside of the planet can actually shift over the liquid mantle sometimes, and it causes our poles to change positions sometimes. I I was just gonna say that mm -hmm. uh, with the poles, they're saying that that's why. Um, that's why the days are so short, Dale. I mean, that's why time is going so fast. It I definitely shifts the location this... of the poles. And yeah, it yeah. would put you further north or further south, depending on right. uh, where you were. You know? And your perception of time. I'm hearing what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, so um, in, uh, Hapgood claimed he, that a lithospheric shift happened somewhere between 18,000 and 12,000 years ago. And uh, the Hiawatha impact crater was created the 13,000 years ago. So it could have also been the cause of that lithospheric shift, in which case that would rip the, the oceans from their beds. I mean, you'd have, you wouldn't right. have a thousand foot tsunami, you'd have a 3,000 foot tsunami. And it would be a miracle if anything survived it. And we almost didn't. It almost took us out. At right. least at least the smucks on the surface, <laughs> not necessarily the people safe and secure underground who kept their technology. Like Darren Kuru, maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. So I've also heard that there could be alien life forms like in Antarctica. That's another one. Or there's yes. military bases there for sure. Um, and uh, going back to what Stephen had said, Mark Zuckerberg, I don't know if you guys uh, heard this, but recently he's building like an underground bunker in Hawaii on Maui. <laughs> so everybody's like, why is he doing that? What's going on? You know, is, is something else going to happen? You know, is something eminent uh, with that? But there's, there, there's, there's, you know, of course there've been movies that recently came out too about the super rich having, um, you know, lavish mansions basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, orbiting the earth. I forget what the movie was called, but yes, definitely. If you, if you want to, uh, yeah, yeah. If you, if you want to survive a, uh, a cataclysm and you actually know it's coming, you either go deep underground or you go into space or into space. Yeah. You do into one of two things. Interesting. The, the, the thing is, I, I also, cause I, I studied geology a lot too. And a lot of things that people don't realize is that, why the um the magnetic pole has been in different places at different times like the hudson bay and the bering sea is because you can tell where the actual magnetic north pole was by lava magma that comes to the surface when mm. it cools all the iron and the different filaments that are magnetic, they automatically align to where the magnetic north pole is. So you can actually tell where the magnetic north pole was by figuring out how old the lava was that how was laid down. And, and also, <laughs> right. too, and also, too, by things like, um, you know, the, the pyramids in Egypt, uh, of course, Baalbek different uh, structures machu uh not so much machu picchu no, machu picchu yeah yeah they're <laughs> they're the way they're always built on cardinal points that are that are they're uh, north south east and west and so but, but mm -hmm. people don't realize if you haven't studied geology that it's the magma and the filaments they actually align directly to where it was at the time that it cooled right yeah i've been to machu picchu i just went to teotihuacan in chichen itza so those structures, <laughs> you guys have to go. You have to go to uh, Teotihuacan at least. That it's one. on the bucket list for sure. Yeah. Um, what I Teotihuacan was very interesting because when I went there, you know, because they said the Aztecs built it, and I was like, as as soon as I got there, I was like, the Aztecs did not build this. <laughs> they did not, and, and, and that's know what that I was fact, always actually. Yeah, and that's what I was always taught. I remember in eighth grade, what social studies, you know, is that, oh, the Aztecs right. built it, uh, Quetzalcoatl, all of this stuff. But when I went there, not even knowing the Teotihuacan history and who the Teotihuacans were, and now a theory on how Toth uh, could have been sent to, uh, Toth who built the Egyptian pyramids could have been right. sent to, um, to Teotihuacan to build these pyramids as well, because again, they're facing on, on certain um, energetic points to keep Part, the planet yeah, the all points. in balance. Right? It's actually yeah, fascinating. Points. 
I particularly like Carlotto's work, Mark Carlotto. You you would have read it in our book. Uh, he's the one that's he he started noticing that um, some of the ancient structures, like Teotihuacan, in fact, that's the one that he first noticed, they didn't perfectly align with the cardinal points. Close, but not perfectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time, the these kinds of structures do line up. I mean, perfectly, like like the Great Pyramid, right on the cardinal point, mm-hmm. uh, within within a degree. And uh, but Teotihuacan was slightly off. And then he started checking all of the other uh, structures in the area and found they were all off by the exact same amount. Then when he he uh, took the the sides of the pyramids and and followed the line northward along those lines of all of these structures he came right to where the the cardinal uh, the uh, north pole used to be 12,000 years ago or 13,000 years ago so that's pointing to that at least the uh, foundations of that structure and all of the structures in mexico are pointing to where the North Pole was uh, thir- over 13,000 years ago. Wow. So in other words, that that site is much, much older than they thought. Right. And also right, the sure. um, the uh, pyramid of the, uh, what's the, what's the one, the pyramid of the ser- feathered serpent or the temple of the feathered serpent uh, in uh, Teotihuacan? They that have one, the sun, the moon, and I think the third one. They have a Is third the feathered one, serpent is the, the third one, serpent. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, underneath the feathered serpent, um, you can actually see the uh, prior foundations of the prior temples below. Mm-hmm. This thing is much older than thought. And of course, the the the, the rock uh, at the bottom uh, from a, pri- a prior existence is megalithic, huge, enormous. Right. A- again, once again, way out of the capabilities of uh, the people that they're being attributed and to. We also found it interesting. This, like the uh, where the Huangdi, uh, the the first emperor of of China, they they won't even go in there because the levels of mercury and and toxins are just so high. And they, of course, I I believe they also found that it in, in Teotihuacan too, uh, a lot of mercury mm. too. Uh, it's yeah, under it's did. under the uh, feathered serpent actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the but yes, in Teotihuacan. Yeah. Under the Temple of the Feathered Serpent, what happened was, is uh, in the middle of the uh, the Avenue of the Dead, right in between every, all right. of the pyramids, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there a sinkhole formed uh, in, after a rainstorm, and then they went down in there and realized that, that there were uh, tunnels going right. off in different directions. And when they followed the tunnel under the feathered the Temple of the Feathered Serpent, they discovered a lake of mercury for some reason. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have a theory on that. I have no idea what that was. This, 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 is, a, this is another thing to talk, talking about liquid mercury and how it's it's kind of difficult to extract and to you know to get in the first place. But it yeah, was so it, it was sometime after yeah. sometime after the Second World War. It was off the coast, I think it was Norway. Or was it in the Bay of Bothnia? The thing is, off the coast of Norway, they found a um, a Nazi submarine that had three hundred or three hundred fifty fifty gallon barrels of liquid mercury. Just wow. you know, they that just you know, why were they so uh, in love with liquid mercury? What was the purpose? I mean, that makes makes you wonder. You know, there's some theories about uh, if you if you coat something with mercury and then spin it, it'll actually levitate. And that might be wow. something to do with what what's going on inside these well, these well, they could have been that, that people are seeing with spinning cubes inside of them. Right, or, right. That makes sense. Well, well that, mercury, that mercury is the first is the first uh, superconductor. It's the first one discovered. So yeah, it is a superconductor. You super cool it, and it will be, it will levitate. You know, you've probably seen those shows where it does levitate. So. And did you hear about uh, this is near Machu Picchu? It's uh, further down. It's a uh, Caral Supe. Did you say it was Caral Supe? Caral Supe. It's one of the one of the cities that has been attributed to the Inca, but it's ridiculous. It can't have been them, and uh, because they they're, first of all they have bronze tools and uh, wow, Sexuaman, Teotihuacan. I mean, I, I mean Sexuaman and uh, Pumapunku. And also Machu Picchu, they're all built with andesite uh, stone, which 
which is harder than granite. It's the, it's right. the same it's hardness black. as the hardest yeah. granites. And these are bronze wielding tool people. There's no way a bronze culture can have done this. And we know for a fact now that it isn't the Inca because under Carl's, Carl, Carl Supe, they found um, this fibrous netting uh, that they were able to carbon date to 5,000 years ago. So uh, we now know that 5,000 years ago, there's a pyramid city building culture capable of building megalithic uh, structures uh, in, in that area, Peru and Bolivia, that we, we have no idea who they are. Wow. It's so fascinating. It's like, you know, again, like, like I said before, going back to the history that I learned in school is nothing it, it, it's like it's not even true right you know? <laughs> i know unless you Columbus go to... didn't even discover america that's the first thing we learn on our uh, for day one of school right you know exactly exactly <laughs> but i i was recently looking at a structure um and a saying in front of a high school and it was by um robert f kennedy okay that says he who hath I, I think I have it here. He who hath the um, hold up, hold up. Let me get like the I have it in my notebook. But it's something about bending history, right? Mm -hmm. Like he who hath the um, courage. Here it is. Few will have the greatness to bend history. What does that mean? He who hath. Mm -hmm the greatness to bend history. That means history is fake, right? They've changed it. There's also that saying too, that he who wins the war writes the history <laughs> book. You know, so I think, I think like, it might mean more something like that. Right. Uh, that. He, uh, yeah. It's a, fa it's a famous one. Who, yeah. he who wins writes the history. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, what is true? Right. Mm -hmm. But um, it, I mean, going to these places is so fascinating. I mean, I remember when I went to Peru and Machu Picchu and seeing those, that stone, it's pretty phenomenal. I, I mean, it's, first of all, it's huge. And the tour, the tour guides will tell you, they're like, humans did not make this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We, we, we were on a show about a month and a half ago where a, a gentleman was interviewing us and he had been to Saksuaman he and his wife and he said he says either the pictures do not do it justice he said no. there's, there's no way humans you know, erected this the this he said the stones were obviously fused together and they're not yeah. they're not any like rational shape they're every single stone is a different polygon of some kind and yet they fit together so snugly you can't fit a piece of paper in between them it's, it's it's phenomenal, and the you know the uh, the triple interior bevel carvings at the at the andesite at Puma Cunco is it's it's ridiculous. I, I I've done a lot of concrete, and you know I, I was in one of my one of the hats I wore in my life. I was a uh, I was a CB in the Navy for uh, for six years. We did a lot of concrete work, and I did a lot of concrete work and cement work, and I was a cabinet maker and built houses and cabinets. But those stones and Puma Punko, they looked to me actually like they were actually poured in a form, like they were basically replicated, like cement stones or cement yeah. blocks. He's talking about the giant blocks, H blocks, the yeah. giant H blocks that are triple beveled. They look they're so uniform in in their in their um your aggregate there's you know you don't see like you know like little strips or little stripes of like they like mined it out of out of a uh, uh quarried it it's just just like they literally melted it and poured it into yeah. a form and then poured and pulled it out of the form it gives us that impression too because they're they're identical one to another if they were shaped by hand in the only way they could have which would have been sanding and grinding that way because they didn't have the tools to cut the rock certainly uh, there's no way they would be that uniform from one to right. the next. That, that was the right. first thing that I thought when I saw those things, that these things are, these things were poured, these things were like, like we make concrete blocks to make, you know, buildings, either, that they were basically... They're, either they're poured, poured or somehow other manufactured in such a way as to make them yeah. identical one to the next to the next. Right. And you have to think, like, getting them all the way up these mountains. Yes. I, I mean... 
you know, people can't carry them. So you're right, had to be probably some type of liquid. Frequently, the quarries were a couple of miles away, and frequently they're they're much lower elevation. They're like 600 feet lower. So not only did they have to cut these things, which is impossible with bronze tools, but mm. somehow they had to levitate them up this top of this mountain. Yeah, it, it, right. it was an on-site project. That's how we would have done it in the military. It would have, you bring in you bring in the bags of cement, you bring in the gravel, <laughs> and you, you get the cement mixer going, and you pour it into the form, and you do it on-site. You know, there's, right. there's it's it's 12,500 foot. Uh, elevation is it's it's well above the tree line it's like you know no it, it was these things were poured i almost oh, guarantee sure. right that's people forget yeah, that that's um, a great theory yeah. i've never heard it before but it makes sense once you think about it you know right um convenience <laughs> right so totally. obviously we're talking about a technology far in advance it's a technology we no longer have i mean they they were masters at melding and working with rock and stone we may perhaps we don't have that technology right now but they had the technology correct you know, so. and and they probably still do in in the I like to remind people that and, and people forget this a lot but the the homo sapiens sapien which is us you know that's that's our species has been in existence for 120,000 years at least uh, some people argue much more but we have irrefutable proof of um that we've existed for at least 120,000 years and supposedly according to mainstream archaeology we just sat around for 107,000 years in caves <laughs> picking fleas off our behinds and freezing our nips off and with no advancement at all well, until 13,000 years ago we suddenly decided to get some gumption and get going you know yeah. no <laughs> we do not seem like the kind of people human, that would just sit beings. around you know we're, we're, we're if, if anything we're rest, we're restless and curious and and industrious sure. we're industrious, and industrious. People. nothing else you know <laughs> very very true i mean so there's a technology could have risen and fallen seven times in that sure. 107,000 year period of time and we think um a lot of these this knowledge was ours not necessarily from aliens and whether aliens are involved or not um, we have theories on that, too, of course. Uh, there is a lot of theories pointing to uh, the human race have, having been uplifted at one point. Yeah. Um, some 300,000 years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, and obviously, we didn't do that to ourselves, right? Yeah, Jason Martell talked about that at uh, Alien Con. He, he, it was, I wish I uh, was able to get a hold of that uh, DVD. But he, he showed the evidence about 300,000 years ago. You can see on the neocortex of the human brain where you're doing, it's kind of like what we're doing with CRISPR now. They, they, they edited in basically cut and spliced in the gene for, for speech about 300,000 years ago, which has to do with some of our other theories we've come up with that we're not really addressed, right. haven't addressed it yet. Like if you wanted a slave race and you found Homo erectus uh, and Homo erectus is pretty smart, pretty strong, but can't speak, right? Right. Can't, can't communicate necessarily. So they they tweak the brain a little, make it a little smarter, and give it the power of speech, and voila, you have what could be a a trainable worker. It's so interesting, yeah. And I think, like I like you guys mentioned they're still coming to people and i think it's to evolve uh the human race to become more compliant with that and yes. and you know there's other people who are evolving in a different way like we're seeing that in the workforce now where people don't want to work in cubicles anymore people don't want to you know be indoors and just doing the same thing over and over again where they're shifting out of that paradigm but yet you know what are the corporations going to do? You know they're trying to get us go to go back in the uh, into the office, but yeah, that's, that's just going to make the the skies orange again. That's, that's the <laughs> right. We're thinking, and you, I, I see it because I, I I just uh, recently finished playing in the uh, Joshua Tree Philharmonic Orchestra. We did our our, our holiday concert, and we did oh wow uh, different nice. performances. We did a uh, yeah. we did a combination. We did this really neat. We did took the Nutcracker, and we did it. Um, People don't realize that Glenn Miller uh, did a version of the Nutcracker in the big band swing 
um, version of the Nutcracker. So we did that. They swinged it up. Plus, we we did a couple <laughs> other really nice pieces. But I found it really interesting that I was sitting in between. Cause I'm the I was the accordionist for the for the uh, orchestra, and on the left side is like this really kind of really intelligent genius type of keyboardist. He plays like seven different instruments, and he did help with the orchestrations. And on the right side of me was this. Um, piccolo player and flute player and they were constantly talking to each other on their cell phones and it was like it was like i didn't even exist <laughs> it was like you know every once in a while they would talk to me but they wouldn't actually like look at me it says you know jesus you know when i was growing up when i was their age it would have been a totally different thing and you know for them it's just totally normal the way they communicate wow. is totally different than like leslie and i how we grew up i i kind of felt a little bit you know, kind of a little bit insulted in a way, but That's I certainly think, left out. You know, anyway. I certainly felt like you know, you know, I don't exist. I'm 63, and they're like in their 20s, and you know, they're just like you know, oh, this guy's old. You know, he doesn't know the the, the technology until they're having their conversations. They have no idea what they're saying. They could be wow. saying, "Oh God, Steve is really old." You know. <laughs> well, they haven't written a UFO book, honey. Yeah, and <laughs> so tell us where people can find you, where people can find your book. Sure. It's uh, again, it's who they are and what they're up to from uh, Leslie and Stephen Shaw by Leslie and Stephen Shaw. And it's available on Amazon and Ingram. It's available in different formats, of course, like, you know. Yes. Uh, paperback and uh, Kindle. Uh, you can read it. Kindle reads and uh, uh, ebook versions. <laughs> and I'll have the link in the show notes. Well, well it was super cool. fun having the both of you here. Thank you so uh, much Leslie for having and Steven. It was and it was great meeting you guys. Thank you. Awesome. Till next time. Psst. Psst. Hey you. Yeah, you. Thanks for listening to Nurses and Hypochondriacs. We so appreciate it. And we'd love your help. We'd love it if you leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, a five star. That would be amazing. And we'd love a donation. It helps to bring more nurses and patients together so their stories get heard. Thank you so much. Please like and subscribe. Bye.